Anyway, here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Canadian-American poet David Leo Sirach has been published 142 times in 24 countries. His work has been translated into 12 languages. He hosts Spoken Word World Online, a Zoom continuation of Spoken Word Paris. The title of his first poetry collection is Hummingbirds, in which he writes poems about pigeons and plants. Everyone, help me welcome the legend, David Leo. So welcome, David. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here, Michael. Exciting. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here, too. As you can tell, I'm extremely excited and nervous, too. But let's begin this poetic <laughs> journey. All right? Yep. All right. <laughs> David. Well, firstly, I'll say what two things I don't think poetry is that have been expressed by famous people. Uh, I don't believe what Frost said, uh, that uh, great gobs of expression, or, or great, great gobs of sentiment, certainly not. And I don't believe uh, what Wordsworth said, that it's emotion recollected in tranquility. I think both of those are, one is cheesy and one is pompous and neither are correct. Okay. But <laughs> to okay. me, what poetry is, is the deepest expression verbally that a human can make. It's like an electric soul signal, like a heart signal, something uh, that's deepest inside us that reflects our vision, uh, our beliefs, uh, uh, our impressions of what is beautiful, and our impressions of what is the deepest, uh, most important thing to say to someone, you know, the invisible audience out there. It's, uh, for me, the most essential expression a human can make. Right. Now, did you say heart signal? Yes, I did. Talk more about this heart signal. That was, that struck me. Oh, that's great. Um, well, I, when I say electric heart signal, I mean like a vibration yes. from deep, deep within a human being that has such a power to it, such a, a current, a charge to it, that it can light up other people's electric system or other people's inspiration and even take them to a higher level of consciousness if the poet is in a high, a high level of consciousness while they're writing. Mm-hmm. Not just saying, and everything is one. <laughs> but if they're right. actually having a mystical experience, you know, the, the heart signal, the vibration of the poem can uplift the consciousness of the reader. It does something quite magical. You know, you're the first guest that I've had that's ever opened up by saying or sharing what poetry is not. Why did you do that? Why did you set the stage <laughs> that way? Because I've never agreed with either of those definitions. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, 
you know, poetry is such a difficult bird to to describe at all that I thought it'd be easiest to say what I don't think it is first mm-hmm. because I was going to fumble after that and make a a bad explanation of the ineffable, really. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so when you think about poetry, and again, as I share it with everyone, you're a legend. Why do you believe that poetry is still important? And maybe you don't. I don't know. Talk to me. No, I, cer- I certainly do. And although it's not uh, generally high-paying uh, or uh, a status that uh, we could talk about one of the greatest po- poets writing today, for example, uh, Ilya Kaminsky, and people at their common coffee table at home are not going to know who that is. But all of the poetry world will know. <laughs> so even if it's not recognized by everyone as like the highest possible thing, uh, and it doesn't pay well, I think poetry is important because it wakes a person up to their own sense of wonderment, the beauty of the world, or um, you know, uh, righteous anger about the state of the world, or okay. uh, any, or, or what is their spiritual experience. It wakes a a person up to what they really feel and uh, how they see things, which is really deep. Mm. I can tell because I listen to people all the time that you believe what you're saying. That is inside you. <laughs> I mean, you're not just saying it to say it to sound good. You believe what you're saying. And that to me, it's extraordinary, to be quite honest, because people can say anything. Thank you. I'd like you to share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. When I first uh, lived in Paris, I was uh, new at a show called Spoken Word Paris. I know it's the, mm-hmm. the one that I've carried on on Zoom. And uh, the first couple words out of my mouth uh People were gripped with silence, and first they laughed at what I said because it was ridiculous. Like this is expression number, this is impression number eighty-nine, which was actually the title of the poem. But people laughed. My wife pointed out later that you know that was good at <laughs> first, and that I can uh, reach something in people. Uh, and then what I did after that was read something very philosophical and heartfelt and deep. But because mm-hmm. they had laughed first. They were more open to it, and I would get comments about things I read, you know, weeks later, or best response I would say to your question is uh, after giving a featured poetry reading in Paris, where I found my best audience, uh, somebody, you know, and I was after where we exchanged emails, and uh, she wrote to me the next day and saying, uh, what a fabulous reading, by the way, I translated your poem container into French. <laughs> Some of them were so inspired, you know, that they not only reacted to it at the time, but even later, and then they looked it up and they spent hours translating it and then, you know, sending it to me. <laughs> wow. So that's maybe the most powerful experience. Do you come from a literary background? No, not at all. <laughs> all right, talk uh, to me. My mother is a, a person who's a, a natural appreciator of poetry, 
And, you know, like in that Edgar Allan Poe uh, essay where he talks about a person who's out in nature seeing everything as beautiful and as a vision and as new, that that person is the true poet, whether or not they write a single word in their life. <laughs> and so my mother was that. My dad has more of a scientific but also philosophical bent. And, uh, you know, these two people, uh, my mother, I grew up with her, and she mm -hmm. encouraged reading and writing so much. And she, you know, would share with us, uh, for example, the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language, which was uh, almost a foot tall, or, I mean, you know, thick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I would tell my mom, I'm going to learn every word in that book. <laughs> and she would laugh, but then she would encourage me to do, you know, to, to try to do that. And mm -hmm. uh, she's always been my best audience. So I've always had support from early mm -hmm. on. And though I, mm -hmm. even though I don't have literary parents, like some of the great writers I know, yes, I uh, had a teacher when I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, fifth grade, of course, and she uh, introduced the class to Edgar Allan Poe and uh, had us write poetry exercises. She would show us, hand out these postcards, and we would write something, what's in this picture? How do you describe it? Uh, or write a poem with two words in every line. I would get so excited, you know, rocket ship, blast off, into space, orbit Earth. So remember that. Um, I got so excited that once when she assigned us one poetry exercise, one poem, I wrote eight. <laughs> and so I've always been so excited about poetry ever since uh, my mind catching fire from Poe's inspiration and from her coaching uh, that uh, I never stopped. And by the time I was in high school, I was mm -hmm. writing collections of poetry rather than oh, wow. doing my homework. <laughs> it was the most important, most important thing to me. <laughs> I've got to ask, because I made this statement earlier about you believing what you're saying. Are you a poem, David? <laughs> I love that. Well, if I am, I'm like God's uh, very well made you know impression of what a poem would be you know like i don't think i have any power of myself essentially uh but i was created in such a way that uh i guess would make my life a poem because that's what i'm drawing from mm -hmm. we're always quoting our own impressions wow well that's divine I don't know what it is, <laughs> because I was going to also ask, do you live your life like it's a poem? That was going to be my next question, but <laughs> hold on to that one. Please share a poem, <laughs> Please share a poem for us. Okay. Oh, That's thank exactly you. What we need. Yes. So this is called Stage of the Spoken World is the year of the key. This is the year of the coin. This is the year of the word and the digits of the code. This year is the new alone. I take a walk in twilight quiet, Paul Valéry's sapphire habit to break from day's webs of words. At times I flow with time or stride forward while my mind stares 
behind. Memory wears a necklace of knives, each one meant for a wound of mine. Disappearing dream I hear, I recommend getting to know the souvenir. But the persistence of time perpetually frees me from history, moves me into dusky mystery. Valerie's question echoes, will you sing when you're reduced to vapor? I want to chant at all the changes of our day, dawn, noon, dusk. Midnight walks toward me. She never changes pace. <laughs> the sorrows of my changing face. Who called to me from all myths of earth? Echo of my first song of mirth. Why pick up the rusted chain again of my time-worn story? Drag it across this doorstep, my shadow stains. Keep the vigil of open vision, circle of spacious time, timeless space. Outdoors, dusk has turned to dark, its tendency toward a round trip. The best way to end my nightmares is to face them. The play I appear in forever Starts over, refrain of ocean wave, sunlight sculpts with fire. The now, forever a newborn, I've never before seen. I touch it with tender uncertainty, bless this welcome present. Another flash dream firmly murmurs, they're not going to alert you. This is the start. Time is the pulse of consciousness. Now, onto the stage of the spoken world. I can only sing on this side very much. Wow. Just need a second to allow it to settle in my body. <laughs> mm. What do you think makes your poetic voice different? How do you stand out? I, like everybody else, you know, even the deepest uh, inspiration, like when I wrote a poem in a trance after collapsing and my mouth started moving and a friend wrote it down, mm -hmm. read that one later, even mm -hmm. the deepest uh, divine expression like that, um, filters through my own mind, my own uh, language and sense of the beautiful and whatever's in my head, that light is going to refract through and separate into rainbow colors, a whole palette. So it's because uh, that it goes through my mind that I think it's unique. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as a, as a longtime meditator and uh, student of an enlightened saint from India, Okay. I really get inspired by spiritual experiences, and that colors my poetry. Uh, so it's, it's genuine. 
it's uh, you know on fire from a deep meditative state oftentimes or con- contemplation of life mm-hmm. and sometimes it's different because of like my funny poems because of my really goofy imagination <laughs> <laughs> like i wrote a poem called and this is a prize winning poem i hear the bank of america singing <laughs> and that's all based on walt whitman uh poems uh quotes mm-hmm. and that take off uh it takes off from quotes from him so that's you know because i had eight different poems from walt whitman partially memorized and bouncing around in my head even my funny poems are drawing from that so it all mm-hmm. gets uh filtered through our own minds david what color is poetry tonight <laughs> deep purple <laughs> tell me more <laughs> tell me well, you gotta I mean, tell partially, me <laughs> I, I partially like to, to make a smile happen but uh, you know deep as in my all my work is philosophical I once had a dream where I heard the line uh, do you have any poems that are not philosophical and so uh, it's deep, deep hopefully in that sense but purple is in just lavish with the colors of human feeling and longing and wanting and uh, and divine sensations, intuition, like we always all have. Yeah. So purple in that sense as well. All right. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? What makes them great in your eyes? Well, my favorite poet in the English language is William Butler Yeats. And uh, he's great for not just his incredible prowess as a as a user of the English language and person with a sense of music uh, and magic in his words. But, I mean, one of his poems, uh, The Cap and Bells, is all drawn entirely from a dream. And he wrote it down exactly as it had appeared to him in his dream. And like Samuel Coleridge did with Kubla Khan, I feel that that's deeper than, you know, it's beyond the confines of the mind. It's deeper than uh, what our conscious mind can do. And that's why, I mean, I have a, about 260 pages of lines that are directly quoted from my own dreams, and I'll read wow. them later. But, mm-hmm. but they, so they don't have the element of trying. They just, you know, I don't edit them. They come up and they're all very short and I write them down as faithfully as I can. So there's that magic. But in other languages, although, you know, I don't read uh, Spanish or German or, you know, some French, I translate Paul Valéry. My spoken French is not great. But uh, Valéry is my favorite French poet because he's so philosophical and incredibly uh, complex, but in a meditative sort of way that doesn't lose touch with humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Spanish, I love Pablo Neruda. He uh, he hit the nerve of what poetry is, maybe maybe more than anyone else in the 20th century, and and I adore his work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Rainer Maria Rilke in German, uh, again, just uh, such a philosophical and meditative soul. And his poems seem to be pure and drawn from that deep well. So all of those, plus I'm influenced by the poet saints of India. 
So uh, Mirabai and uh, Nyaneshwar Maharaj, and so, some people will know these names. But uh, this is maybe partially why I'm well-known in India, is that all my work is based on Indian philosophy, oh, wow. and uh, it's, it's hanging around in my subconscious and conscious mind. So all those are big influences. And and T. S. Eliot, of course, is brilliant. Beyond all right. Belief, you know. All right. Well, please share another poem. Sure. So this is from a little collection of philosophical love poems, I call them. Uh it's called Still A Meditation on Meditation. The dead can do it. From them I learn to be still and quiet, still are loud, still I murmur in images, still there are minuscule movements I can't control when I sit, still, gentle tremble of hands, eyes, lips, and the mind's blizzard of pointed letters. In a not quite forgotten, full lotus pose ritual, I begin to fill my body with an expanding soul, steeped in the spirit of the whole universe's blue lotus. One turning. Night unfolds the contours of her charcoal velvet blanket, and I sense my red magnetic spirit drawn towards you more then beforehand, another movement I can't control. My emptied hands reach for the circle of light you wear around your dancer's figure across the border river. Echoes of your evening teachings, lightning on my inner night's horizon. Electric charges surge through your form, flicker in your liberated laughter and gentle maple sugar tones to flash truth before my heart's eye. In the beginning was the word, and the word is with you still. David? Thank you. David, what is the what yeah. is the purpose of that particular piece? What's the purpose of it? Why did you write it? Essentially, uh, to express my love for a woman I know around mm -hmm. here uh, in uh, New Brunswick, Canada, mm -hmm. and she taught me so much just from our our very spiritual and philosophical conversations that all of that you know kind of uh, experience of life that spiritual quality flows into the poem and also because I wanted to meditate on meditation I'm trying to describe it in as uh, eloquent a way as possible so all mm -hmm. of those uh, but you know mostly it was to express love and uh, that book uh, that the chapbook manuscript five of my manuscripts are I'm sending around uh, mm -hmm. it's called Blue Lotus Sutra and uh, there's the Lotus Bleu Cafe right here in, in uh, the town where I was born and the city center in eastern Canada. So really it was just to express love, but it comes out in my own beautiful way. 
I suppose. All right. <laughs> if you don't say so, who else will? <laughs> Your own beautiful way. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, Sounds I, like something I was I, I, I feel it. Too. <laughs> That's true. All right, my next question to you. Your first poetry collection, the title is Hummingbirds. Tell me all about it. Hum- what inspired Humble it? Doves? Uh, well, a pigeon is a, a, an animal I, I nickname a humble dove all right. in the first poem of that book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that, that's the book I self-published while I'm sending five finished manuscripts around. Because I wanted to uh, maybe get my name out there and uh, have my funny stuff draw an audience in, uh, and and through that people will then discover my serious work. And uh, they were the most popular poems, perhaps, that I was reading in Paris. And people I know from there, when they ever they see a pigeon, they think of me. <laughs> so I, yeah, I thought it'd be funny, funny to put that book out. <laughs> well, let me ask this question: What what is it about pigeons that attracts you, intrigues you? Uh, they have a, a humble brilliance. I mean, they are, uh, in a sense, humble doves. I guess they're from that family, but they intrigue me because because uh, they're funny and the way they walk, <laughs> the way they move, their uh, heads, the uh, the things they do. Uh, and the fact that they're in every city, for example, and I, I started writing another book uh, on pigeons where, where it's called, you know, Field Guide to the Pigeons of Southern New England. <laughs> As if there's any difference <laughs> between <laughs> pigeons anywhere. So I, I think they're, they're funny. Um, <laughs> or, uh, <yeah. laughs> well, you know, sometimes they carry diseases too, but... <laughs> But, you know, I'm using them all, I use them also as a metaphor for different types of people. And in that book, you know, there's, there are fashion conscious pigeons and there are, uh, you know, pigeons in love. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous, but that's the one I thought would sell. Uh, so I put that out first. And <laughs> well, well, what about the connection? What about the connection with the plants, pigeons and plants? Oh, well, I had started in Boston to write uh, poems to plants, uh, influenced by uh, not just uh, Pablo Neruda's uh, "Odes to Common Things," where he might have mm-hmm. you know "Ode to the Gilly Flower," <laughs> you, know, right. you know what that was before I read it, but uh, and then Louise Glick's book, "The Wild Iris." Uh, these are poems that address plants or are so directly about them or quote what plants would say. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I had started writing those and I felt that poems to pigeons uh, would go well with poems to plants. These are addresses to, you know, parts of, of nature. All right. So in the book, what are the predominant themes that you write about? I don't know if my predominant themes are in that book, but okay. uh, the predominant themes uh, of that book, I guess, are um, 
<laughs> our, the silliness of our ego, okay. uh, our superfici- superficial nature. Uh, I make fun of a lot of the things that I think are really ridiculous about people like ego and fashion consciousness. Um, so it's kind of a humorous look into people where I uh, cast them as different uh, as different pigeons. Um, <laughs> Like in one of them is called the the taste land, and so in the in the in that poem T. S. Eliot is you know a pigeon <laughs> speaking, you know. <laughs> so I get I get complicated sometimes with those even, but they're, they're different <laughs> ways of uh, casting people. Yeah. Well, would you <laughs> be in, willing? In general, I mean, my main themes are you know yes. enlightenment and the human journey and the soul and the, the and love and you know things that are more. Uh, I guess commonly lauded by poetry, but the the one on the search for enlightenment is is uh, probably the strongest vibe well, <laughs> in my poem. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you be willing to read the piece where T. S. Eliot is a pigeon? Ah, uh, I'm looking for the uh, <laughs> the little book now. Okay, I found one. We do it all on this show. We <laughs> we touch, we cover That's everything. Great. <laughs> If you say it, okay, yeah, so, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> the taste land. Apparently the cruelest fun comes from fake mint chewing gum in the beak of a type A pigeon. Rapid spastic mastication without reason, shaking my heart with the awful poking of a million forks, an age of chewing to never retract. Compared to the arid grip of my trident's talons, crow's feet are an abomination, rivaling rich and modest ties, asserted by a smug chin, crowned by an undying grin. I do not hope to turn again, desiring this man's guilt and that man's pope, just the third man's peace that passes all. No, I am not a prince of pigeons, nor was meant to be. Am an attendant bird, one that will do to swell a progress. Countless feathers fluff the wind. A long and vivid trail of crumbs will lead to an overwhelming person. Oh, do not ask, what is it? Let us go and peck upon it. I have gone at dusk through cobalt streets, and tracked the scents that rise from kitchen windows with a clatter and a chatter from within. Pray for us sinners now, and at the hour of, I'll have a nice long death with a smidgen of pigeon patience. I lie etherized upon a banquet table set with homemade cakes and ices, forcing the moment to its crisis. The Ganges was sunken, and the limp leaves waited for me. (laughs) I look like rain. Death by water. In a sidewalk pond, I rose and fell, watched my birth and death. Sweet sen, run softly till I end my song. Sweet sen, run softly, for I speak not loud or long. Thank you. <laughs> uh, 
probably allude to ten of his poems in there. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Smart humor, Dave. <laughs> David, how does a poem know where to go? Do you lead or does it lead you? I believe it leads a person. Uh, you know, I read uh, lines uh, quoted from people saying, like, uh, if you know where a poem's are if you know where a poem's going to go before you start writing it, it's going to be a mediocre poem. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. All right. Uh, so I think, you know, like any art form, the through the organic creation process, poems find their own uh, path. Uh, okay. Not intentionally guiding, which is why I love the poems from dreams and the and the trance written poem. Uh, maybe why people like those. Uh, you know, the I, I can read uh, from either, but uh, they've both been published in like seven. I don't know, five to seven countries and at least four languages. Uh, so you know, people really react to those as well and there was no set whatsoever to what I said in the dream <laughs> or what I said when my mouth was moving of its own volition and someone wrote it down. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> but I've got a question that I'd like you to answer or to think about and answer after the break. You've worked with numerous people. Numerous, 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 numerous poets. I asked you earlier, what made your voice different? All right? What, mm-hmm. The question is, what makes poets different from other people? I'm keen to know this. Okay? Great. All right. We'll be right back, everyone. Thank you. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with David Leo Sra. My question, David, to you. What makes poets different from other people? If anything. If anything. Well, yeah, that's a great way to begin that, uh, answering that, because essentially people are all the same. They, Their blood runs the same color, and we've all got to soul that's part of the universal soul and we can merge with that and, and be free from the mm-hmm. inside out so there's that commonality among people uh, but I think poets are not only especially like to play with words but are, are amazed you know, are in wonder at the world and uh, like to capture that in words 
actually are doing this five-line poem I wrote called 50. <laughs> uh, hold on one second, David. There's a lot of static, my friend. And I honestly, I could not hear a word that you said. It was, it was, it was terrible, actually. So what I'd like you to do is to sign off and sign back in, if you don't mind. Okay. Yes, because uh, it's a lot of static. Okay. We're live, everyone, and you know how it goes, but I'm glad David is here. Let's listen to some music. All right, David, let's see. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> All right. Hello. Yes. I still hear it, but let's keep on with our journey. All right? Thank you. Thank you. I felt that the best way to uh, answer your question about uh, what makes poets different from other people is a very, very short poem I wrote called 50. At 50, solitary, rich in spirit, I have landed at last where I stand, arrived where I live, and become the authentic, amazed man I am. David, <laughs> that poem probably was very, very nice, <laughs> but <laughs> there was an echo. There was an echo. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> so I couldn't really. <laughs> I don't know whether to focus on you or the echo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, uh, I, uh, do you hear? Do you hear? Oh my. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. That's bizarre. <laughs> Oh, so <laughs> are you on your phone? Okay. <laughs> All right, everyone, hang in there. Hang in there. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make this thing happen. This is live, everybody, and you know what happened. I'm enjoying myself. Glad David is here. All right. Try one more time. David. Hi there. Hi there. All right. <laughs> I, I do hear something. I, I do hear Say something. Okay. okay. Say something. Anything. Anything. Yeah, this is a really bizarre sound. Bizarre sound. Uh, I can dial in from my computer, or I haven't, you know, I can try the the other method, the other method, through your link. link. Right. Try the other method. Try that. All right. Hang in there, everybody. This is what poets go through periodically. Flux. Anxiety. <laughs> Confusion. All right. Hi there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you can, can you hear me okay? 
no, you sound like <laughs> someone on uh, Star Trek, like the board. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll try plug it. In, I'll Wait. plug in a uh, a manual headset uh, in a moment. You sound so much better right now. That's perfect. That is perfect. I do. Yes. Oh, oh, good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> you do. Great. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Would you be willing to share a poll? <laughs> so that we can <laughs> recalibrate. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Sure. Okay. Well, maybe people are wondering what this trance-induced poem is, so I'll read it, and I've been revising it for 27 years. Wow. But it, but it just came out of my mouth and was written down. Song for a Seeker of Eden. Over the face of naked waters, a nameless breath was blowing. In wide wind, white seeds of weakness and weightless days of realization whirled in one confused flurry. A subtle hand separated light from dark, dark from salted sky, and turned to lift solid air above from undulating dark seas below. On the second day, a sphere of raw fire was carried up into blank dark to create, and a round stone mirror rose into the opposing sky in a shower of sparks to paint night. Our globe's green skin split into countless shoots of wet grass. And the bark of trees burst into soft green flames. Blizzards of birds brought fresh brilliance to foliage. And seven oceans flooded with the flashing blue life of countless fish. At the next dawn, dark infant soil learned new red languages, pulses of horses and bulls, massive shadows of elephants and rams spilled into wilderness, wildness of rain wind. On the following day, plots of dull clay were shaped into articulate human fingers between blood and blood, skin and skin, Man and woman, the two took shape. Held in delicate hands of sentient trees, one unique in its rich scarlet fruit, pregnant with secrets and seeds that carried rumors of death. Amidst wrinkled branches, a serpent made of the yellow muscle of want wound insidious whispers. You will know yourself and fathom the sky, blood-red fruit. Each stretched a fleshy hand toward one apple that was their own crimson consciousness. Man and woman shared that dark, starred fruit until their lips bled with vision. Taste of sunset. Inside the sky, naked, they ate red 
within the red as the first leaf wrinkled and blindly fell. Thank you. You know, David, there is something about your voice that is beyond explanation to me. What I'd like to know is if there's a relation if there is a relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, it's not that I'm a slam poet and I write poems to be performed in front mm-hmm. of lots of people and get big cheering applause. But uh, I do write poems with knowing that I will and I'm supposed to read them out loud. Okay. And that's something that all of my poems have, that they're, they're all written in the way to be read out loud and take people on that journey as a, at a spoken word, open mic, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than looking complicated on the page with flashes between every letter and all kinds of things that make it unreadable aloud, mm-hmm. but, you know, just so it can be read aloud. Well, I believe in reading poetry out loud. I believe in living what you've written. It's always been my philosophy to live it. And we poetry is a lived experience, remember? (laughs) You made a statement earlier. Yes, yes. (laughs) You made a statement earlier that (laughs) on the inside we bleed the same blood. But on the outside, yes. People look so different, and it's, all, it's not always an easy world for a lot of people. My question is, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, to return people to their humanity, in a sense, uh, to give them an experience that opens their heart or electrifies their soul, uh, maybe, in, you know, inspiring uh, kindness or true and deep vision. So it's, as I said before, to, to wake people, whether it's to their, their humor or to their divinity. You know. Okay. All right. To wake people to their divinity. Am I correct? It's funny though that uh, a lot of my lines are from dreams. So I mean to wake people in a, uh, a different kind of way. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, you know, if I'm asleep when I'm writing it, <laughs> you know, there's the irony that you know, if, if I'm trying to wake people up through poetry, how could I write it while I'm asleep? <laughs> oh, yeah. so I'm kind of making fun of myself. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. I understand. <laughs> Well, let me ask this well, question. I have then. some of those ready to share, if you wish. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I do. After this question, share those. Do you have a any particular audience in mind when you write? An ideal reader of your work. Mm. Well, I guess on a basic level, hopefully, someone uh, smart and spiritual and creative. 
Mm. will come to the poem with the three most important things for me to find in, in a, a girlfriend or wife, I guess, be smart and sweet, smart and uh, spiritual and creative. All right. All right. I hope the, the right. person will bring that to it because you know, they say the, the reader is the last uh, writer of the poem. Wow. I like that statement. <laughs> please, share, please share some more of your work. Okay, thank you. So these are from uh, my book, Words Heard or Seen in Dreams. And they're in groups of 33, 33 groups of 33. Uh, so I don't know if you want me to read all of them, but uh, you can give me a signal if we're running out of time. No, we've got a lot of time. Whatever you like, share it. Okay. Oh, thank you. Consciousness exists at the interface between games and fumes. Consciousness is the voice of the beyond and what is here. Consciousness is cool. Is that a joke? A joke from the home office. Consciousness is what burns in all that lives, in all that is. Consciousness is what wants to murmur all along the sound in every song. Eiffel Town needs you right now. What's left here are our different views. This is how, now I forgot how to do it. This is how you make stars. The best constellations are dreamt. I recommend getting to know the souvenir. He threw a window at the sun. From the dawn of time to now and what is going to be, you are connected together. Inspire them all with strong words, sobriety. I booked a photo shoot. It's inside me. This is wholeness, and I am being absorbed by it. You go to work here. You know what's supposed to happen. Like my mother, I drew the wrong and right number. Being honest with people is not what we're taught. So many colors here today. Just open your eyes to distance. The spaces between have to be long because I'm living through them. Careful. Everything here is on a timer. Ah, here is holding now. Who's holding who? And she did it. She did it herself. She launched it from a bureaucracy. She's read these two or three books I've started and charted till I found myself at the bottom. I'll cut my fingers into another pact and give it to you, David. I enjoined the mystery with the music 
then I made it sing. She gets to watch the race and not the pain. Pain is a rear view mirror. The vulnerability appears after the act. You have to write it down on something. Are you reading? If you want, we can unveil some channels for everybody. We can't hide from the light. We're all visibilities to roll the dice of sun and moon, gambling of effect. David? Yes. Humanity is reflected in your poetry. What do you think it means? Thank you. What do I think my poetry means? That humanity is reflected. Yes, that humanity is reflected in your work. from a dream with, which says uh, the problem with this book is this is how life really is. <laughs> so, hopefully my poems are how life really is or at least the inner life. Okay. Uh, we're, we're experiencing that problem again in terms of uh, not being able to hear you clearly. Hopefully things will get better. Hopefully things will get better. Okay. What I'd like to know is has a poem that you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, well, humbled in the sense that uh, not just the general humbling we get when we write a bad poem and discover it later. <laughs> um, okay. So humbled by how bad I was. Uh, not that, but I'm humbled sometimes by the by the sheer life force, I guess, that's in them, the, the electric charge, I would say. So, for example, I wrote a not exactly channel. I didn't, uh, somebody else didn't have to write it down, but I wrote a poem called Gift of the Ghost, which is essentially uh, drawn from a, an experience of, you know, uh, sensing a ghost. I have another poem that's five pages long that's also uh, inspired by a conversation with a ghost. Uh, so sometimes I'm overwhelmed by that power, and I feel that the uh, that sometimes you know we're lent the gift of an eloquence that we can't achieve alone. So that's humbling, uh, and scared me uh, regularly, I guess, because. Uh, like when I read my dream lines the next morning or later on, and I feel like how potent some of them are uh, and how, how much some of them are great advice that I should take. So they really rattle me mm-hmm. and scared in that way or uh, scared as in, oh, my God, that came out of me. Wow. So both of those, yes. You know, it makes me sad that it's difficult to hear what you're saying. 
due to the static. That makes me sad. It makes me really, really sad because from what I can hear, what you're saying is extremely profound, and the world needs to hear it. So I'd like you to sign off one more time. Come back. Let's try it one more time, my friend. Please do that for me. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's see. Okay. Hello. Hello, David. It is. (laughs) It's a lot better. (laughs) It's a lot better. It's a lot better. All right. You know, we've reached my favorite part of the program. I view it as being a mini M-I-N-I concert. This is an opportunity for you to share any of your work, three or four of your poems, back-to-back, no interruptions from me. Are you ready? I will be in just a moment. Okay. <laughs> I'm opening up one of my opening up okay. one of my five finished uh, book manuscripts. Uh, All a right. Serious question here. <laughs> uh. You wouldn't be good in the Olympics. I better, do a, <laughs> I better do a good job. Shoot the gun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, yes, uh, I'm ready. uh. All right. (laughs) You're on the stage. Okay. Slow lightning. All the gravities that held me let me go. No, not the crimson clouds, not the white can hold me down. I walk up and up into the rarefied air of a mountain, It can't tell me its name or age. Night cannot remember its name. It just soaks all the clocks in darkness. Between the cobalt twilight and sunrise, my blood, the only thing I trust. (laughs) But how many birches have poured their slow lightning over my eyes. How many anchors have their roots offered? All those hints of permanence pressed against restless feet. I would like to run this river's silver braids between my fingers. I would like this insistent oxygen to stop reminding me I am made of need. I would like the naked gravel and the strange gravity that keeps it here and the atmosphere that paints it with sunset or twilight's palette to press me close as I listen for mute prayers held in the dovetailed hands of this long, wet grass. This next one is called Container. This container carries countless shards of shaken stars and witnesses wisdom of air, holding everything in place, making us move. 
and sit and wait. This container moves with each appearance, disappearance, and cannot apologize for rough polarities causing friction in our heads. Container that creates, sustains, dissolves all that we don't need and what we need as well, at times with water, times with flame. This container can be emptiness, painting an entire universe on the canvas of her own skin. A row of sidewalk trees, green haunts the street. People stacked one upon another, brick over brick, talking constantly online, on phones, in kitchens, repeating the same stale word clusters always, crows flying out of their mouths. Why am I alone among darkening clouds? This container has an undercurrent that can drag me by the ankle if I am not careful. Container which wails its sirens, carrying crime addicts and the dying. Alive and on the seventh floor, silently on fire, the crown of my head. It is said this planet is a magnet. This container contains so much I cannot mention, my lips would be bleeding. It liquefies souls who hold themselves rigid, brittle, inflexible as a dead plant. It plants its seed in the womb of the real, growing actors for its play. Container that carries markets with faces in flux, wide-mouthed bags devouring oranges, and artichoke petrally made fresh. Container whose persistent air is the most intimate touch I will ever receive. This container marks a mirror holding nothing but itself. Container that can bring ebullience to the lips of every participant. Container that gives darkness a face observing from everywhere. This container exhibits genius in the mise-en-scene of every element in its wide-scale production. Container happy as a young deity perfectly silent and holding the whole cacophony in her belly. Tiny drop of milk, my name, and losing all its form. I stand inside your kind presence, clinging to every letter of your name, your name, your name. Turning, this one begins with a Mahatma Gandhi quote, it is not so difficult to endure bullets in your chest, extremely difficult to work daily on a schedule 
to fight with yourself at every moment and therefore purify yourself. The sky slowly lowers its gaze, handed to a row of old indigo windows. Time conserves its endless strength, conversing with each passerby sacred words and arcane signs intimating times of rough good fortune. I am now unreachable to all but the lowest heaven. Seconds beat against my brow, willing a spiraling universe. These cars create hypnotic quiet, wise machines lilting roll. The river speaks unintelligibly, and bridges tread water always. Wooden cross upon my tongue haunts my speech with melodies of sorrow swallowed and transformed by words of wood that burn and lighten. Silence spoken to hours found in time to be devoured. Now night envelops every eye, tiny globes in sacrifice, windows drink the darkest wine. Luminous form, the human face, in shadow lit, phosphorescent, the skin of counting, canvas stage where minute minutes and months show themselves as roads revolve round the planet. Clouds pursue at their own pace. Abstract edges of falling hills, lit green crosses, glass-roofed aquamarine door, red, yellow, white on pine-colored trellises. Crescent moon cast in silver, as cafe customers unroll their tongues or steep in silence, conjuring cloudy atmospheres to crowd themselves into one sculpture. The radio center, its circular structure, embracing Mahatma's human truth, which changes day by day, while divine truth is absolute. I remember learning to fall without resistance, landing gently on padded floors, nothing in hand to prevent me from rising again. The black pearlescent scent of espresso welcomes me back. Even the dark shimmers violet. Everything is turning. Time is awake. Throughout this night, through all our dawns, this wind is saying, it is time to make. But witty conversation will not suffice. Create ethereal names, a room in time. Thanks very much. Wow. You know, there's... 
an ethereal quality to your work. So what I'd like to know is, how has your work evolved or changed as you've aged as a poet? It has evolved and changed uh, in one sense along with my spiritual development okay. through uh, all the you know, 27, maybe it's more now, years, 28 years of uh, studying under my guru. So through all that chanting and meditation and contemplation, it's, my soul has refined itself so my poetry has gotten refined. Mm-hmm. But it's also through the advice and the input and appreciation and critique of other poets who made me realize things that I didn't see were in need of improvement uh, or didn't see in a certain way uh, in my poems as ever before. So they're, they're words to uh, show me a better line, show me a a better understanding have infused my poetry with a lot of growth over time. And that involves reading also being a great uh, learning from the singing masters. Mm -hmm. So here's a, a different take on what you just shared. So how would you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or creative art? Well, it's certainly both. Okay. I think uh, it's very obvious that it, that I'm given gifts uh, with, you know, 250 plus pages of, uh, yes. I agree. you know, lines from dreams that are just given to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's certainly a gift, but it's also a craft that I've uh, I've studied and practiced over so many, many years that, Um, I've been able to become better and better at it. So I think it's both a gift and a craft. We get the inspiration, um, but then we we learn how to work with the the material called language and and literature. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Absolutely. (laughs) Tell me more. Uh, Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean... Everything seems to point to it in all of my life's uh, development. I see how, oh, this taught me this teaching, uh, this and that, overheard thing from somebody else was uh, a message that informed my poetry. Uh, being guided by so many poets along my life, whether it's live poets around me or, or teachers I once had or people I read, all of the, everything seems to be uh, connected and and pointing in that direction of uh, heading toward being a a greater poet than I was before, heading toward being a good poet among people. All right. So what seems I was born to do it. All right. (laughs) So what surprises (laughs) you most then about being a poet? No, what surprises you most? Oh. Well, more and more through the years, I'm 
completely, utterly surprised or gobsmacked, of course, as they say in the UK, um, <laughs> by people's response. Wow. So I'm surprised by how much people are moved and all my, I don't know, 10 plus translators have come to me out of nowhere. I don't know how they heard about me, but they, mm-hmm. their reaction was really strong. I get fan mail and I'm amazed <laughs> oh. by people, you know, how, how they heard of me and how they, uh, and, and just how much they like my stuff. And you mm-hmm. uh, yourself contacted me without knowing how you yes, heard true. of me. So I'm, I'm <laughs> amazed. I'm, I'm, I I'm surprised by all of those things, uh, which are part of like people's reaction mm-hmm. to doing just what I normally would do, even if I was alone in a garage, you know, writing by the light of a candle, <laughs> you know, people's reaction. <laughs> well, <laughs> what I'd like you to do <laughs> is to do that voodoo that you do so well and <laughs> share one more piece before you go, if you don't mind. Okay. To close us out. <laughs> All right. Uh, this, thank you. Uh, this poem is called Abstract Photograph. And it, the first line is about a street in Paris. I walk along the Rue de la Convention, nine o'clock at night, on a Thursday this 18th day of April, 2013. I may never comprehend this silver-colored abstract photograph, its long, uncomplicated, electrified rail, 1900 Anno Domini silver dollar moon's blank stare follows citizens of the city. Time is tracking me down whether I sit, stand, or walk. I want to hold the beat that moves the unsaid drum, to count myself out, to act and not to act. How to unwrap the real. Timeless, tireless, invisible music enters the senses without resistance the inevitable leaf. Yellow, gold, red, astronomical clocks the size of my own hand. How do I learn how to surrender? Rigid branch and brittle leaf, bristling fingers, rattling air, speak to my sentient spine. Wide, wide libraries of things I don't understand. What time is this that makes me question motions of our measurer who celebrates perpetual remembrance? I come unhinged, grip raw seconds, enter the underworld, roots of the wild violet. You, the river, that rolls through the eye of a needle. You, the stone partition that keeps me from the water. You are seven-story dwellings that keep us trapped in boxes eating sandwiches. The sound of profound pounding drums in newborn heat, back of my neck pulsing. 
resounding wind chimes fill voids inside night. The sound arises in ice and crusted snow underfoot. Green buds hover where golden rain had filled the forsythia. How should I proceed in this web of wrought iron railings? The sound arises with Appalachian mountain dulcimer whispers, shapes so many moods, the endless turning time alone. The sound devises myriad methods of piercing the heart. The sound alive and interested in finding what I seek. I see the sound at twilight. Walk delicately along the edge of this bridge. How small I am, the toothpick bones. How wide the opened souls. My entire head in flames unseen. A silver shiver shakes my spine. Silence waits for its chosen time. No, I want to thank you for sharing your creative gift, which is a creative art, with the listeners. Sharing words of inspiration, sharing words of hope, possibility. You've made me think that when I leave here, whenever I see a pigeon, I'm going to look at it. (laughs) 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 With a newfound respect. (laughs) And also, I want to share with everyone, I want to apologize to David. I'm not sure why I called this book <laughs> Hummingbird. You kept saying Humble Dove. <laughs> it is right here in front oh, of that's me. Fine. Where did I? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I should have worn my glasses, but Hummingbirds are somewhere. I don't know. But <laughs> I want to thank you. <laughs> so don't no be bad. problem. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. You know, because every time I said Hummingbird, I'd hear you say Humble Dove. And I was thinking, well, why is he saying that? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, well, maybe that's some special <laughs> pet no name worries. for the <laughs> humble dubs, <laughs> everybody. <was> the paint. <laughs> <laughs> where, right. where can we find humble dubs? Humble dubs is on Amazon.com, uh, and people can put in my name, uh, David Leo Sirwa, I know it's spelled out in the uh, literature for this show. Uh, or, you know, if you go on to Amazon.com, whatever country you live in, Amazon.es or whatever, wherever, and you type in the word humble doves, <laughs> hummingbirds will give you a different response. <laughs> you type in one, one, one word humble doves in the search bar and my book will come up. <laughs> And I also thought, <laughs> I was like, you know, he never mentioned anything about hummingbirds. He talked about pigeons, <laughs> and the title of his book is Hummingbirds. But he, 
He didn't mention it. <laughs> That's what made me say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Something's, <laughs> something's wrong. Right. What's next for you, David? Where do you go from here, my friend? Well, the best Creative advice you. I've ever gotten, perhaps, and, and I've gotten a lot, you know, if I read quotes from saints all day from India and elsewhere, and I read a lot of advice, a lot <laughs> of the mm-hmm. day. Um, but maybe the best advice I've ever gotten was keep going, keep going. Keep going. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep writing for certain, and I'm going to keep being a spiritual seeker, that's for certain. But I'm going to keep um, humbling myself and just sending out those five finished manuscripts that have never been picked up by one of the big contests, you know, right. that I've sent them to. Mm-hmm. And keep going in terms of sharing my stuff with the world. And it's going to catch with some editor, you know, one of those dream lines or something else is going to catch with some editor somewhere. And, and maybe that'll bring me into the, the big kids table. <laughs> All right. And even if you continue to sit at the little kids table, the gifts you bring to the little table is just as great as it would be for the group, for the big table. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. Because wherever you go, wherever you go, whatever you – there's just something special about David Leo Seurat. (laughs) I know I didn't say it correctly. So – and I want you to return to my show, um, maybe in the summertime. We can plan a nice encore performance. That's beautiful. Thank you. All right. Well, (laughs) we made it through, David. (laughs) The end (laughs) of our poetic journey. I want to thank you. I want to thank the listening audience. And as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, David. Good night. Thank you so much. All right. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.